good to be here. Um, my question for us this morning is, what's your Christmas thing? I, like, I think a lot of people are, you know, they're into the big Christmas tree. They like to decorate. Some people are maybe into the colorful lights. You know, they're like, it's very pretty, and that's what they're into. Some people are into the food. You know, the big turkey dinner, all the, yeah, amen, I got an amen there. Okay, we can tell some people are. Um, some people are into maybe the gifts, You're like, yeah, this is what I really want, I've been waiting for this all year. Um, personally, I'm into the eggnog. <laughs> uh, I've had about five or six liters uh, so far, probably in the last week myself, yeah. So I'm very much into the eggnog. Hopefully I don't overdo it, because that will ruin it. But uh, that's what I'm into. But this Christmas, I just want us to, as we're moving toward Christmas, I want us to think about, are we, yeah, we're into all those things. We're, I'm all for the lights. I'm all for the gifts. I'm all for the eggnog. But are we also all for being Jesus this Christmas? What I mean by <laughs> being Jesus when Jesus came to this earth, he left heaven, he left his home, and so in that sense, he was the first missionary, and he came to live among us and was incarnate, God incarnate. And you might be wondering, what does that word incarnate mean? Incarnate means to be made flesh. So Jesus is literally God made flesh. Okay? Now, if you're a believer, then you believe that Jesus has taken away, you, when you become a believer, you give up all your desires, you die to yourself, right? so your life is dead, and you take on Jesus' life. He comes and lives inside, inside of you, changes your heart so that his passions become your passions, and his heart becomes your heart. And so you have a transformed heart. And, um, and so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what it's about. And so we are actually God incarnate because Jesus is living through us. And so that's what it means to be baptized. We go down, our self dies, and we rise back to new life with Jesus living in us. And so it's about allowing Jesus to live through us, and we actually become God incarnate in this world. We become Jesus to people. We become Jesus this Christmas. We act out what, what it means to be like God in this world. And so my question is, this Christmas, how are we going to be Jesus to people? How are we going to act out Jesus to people? And so what I want to do this morning is look at a few passages in Mark, uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3, and just some highlights of what Jesus was like. And then we can go, okay, this is what Jesus is like. Are we being Jesus? That's my heart, and that's my goal. I want to be Jesus to people. I want to be more like Jesus. Is there anyone here who doesn't want to be more like Jesus? Let's really look at Jesus' life, and when we do, and we see how attractive it is, I think that all of us are going to be like, ah, that's what I want. So let's go to prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your example. We thank you that you care enough about us, that you love us, to come down, to leave your home, to show us what it means to live like God on earth. And I pray that we would take up that, that we would continually lay down ourselves, lay down our desires, lay down being king of our own lives, and allow you to live through us, allow your power to move through us, so that we can be Jesus to people in this world, 
to people who need it. I pray that we wouldn't get in the way. I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts this morning to receive your word. To have more of you, Jesus, and less of us. I pray that you would do a work that only you could do. Your Holy Spirit would transform our hearts. That you would build up your church this morning. That we would take hold of your promises that say, you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you also promised that if we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, that we will be filled. And this morning, Lord, we say we are hungry. We want more of you. We need more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at Mark chapter 1. This is a a story about a leper um, coming to Jesus. It says, Now a leper came to him, to Jesus, and fell to his knees, asking for help. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And he said, Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. The leprosy left him at once, and he was clean. Now let's talk a little bit about the background of Mark and what was going on. First of all, uh, leprosy is actually kind of a, a general category disease that was just for any type of skin sickness or Uh, It was actually a a variety of diseases was covered under that word leprosy. So this man could have had a number of different things, not just what we think of leprosy today. Um, And then if he was this sick man, what he had to do was go around yelling, leper, leper, or unclean, unclean. Because he had to notify people that he wasn't ceremonially clean so that they could know to stay away from him. Because if he touched somebody, they would become unclean as well. That's the way it worked. Then, if he went into a crowd of people and didn't yell unclean and started touching people, those people had the right, by law, to step away and stone that guy to death. So he could be stoned to death for coming close to a crowd of people and not telling them that he's unclean. So this is what we're dealing with here, and yet he comes right up to Jesus kneeling before Jesus, saying, can you help me? If you're willing, make me clean. And when this leper confronts Jesus, notice Jesus' reaction. He's not angry. He's not yelling. He's not, get away from me, you unclean person. He's not going to stone him. Instead, it says right there, verse 41, he's moved with compassion. That's Jesus' response. When you see someone stinky, dirty, unclean, someone who's sick, what's your first response? Get me out of here. This is gross. I'm disgusted. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe they're here. You want to detach yourself from that situation. That is so not Jesus' heart. And you look at any other gods in in history or in other religions, and no other god in any other religion is a god of compassion. Buddhism has compassion, um, sort of, they try to be compassionate, but they don't even believe in a god, so there's there's no god there. There's no other gods that I know of, and I've studied a lot of the religions, that is compassionate. We have a god 
Who is compassion? Compassion, it means to suffer with. The, the literal Greek word is for your bowels to yearn. Like that's how desperate it is. And, uh, and compassion, the, passion, the, the day of passion is when Jesus dies. We call that the, the passion day. And uh, so that means his suffering. And so calm is a Latin prefix to be with. So you're suffering with somebody. That's Jesus' response. Okay, so first thing, he's suffering with. And then look what happens. He, so the first thing, his heart is moved. He's suffering with that person. And then he stretches out his hand and touched him. And what happens is instead of that person making Jesus unclean, Jesus makes the unclean one clean. There's the power of the gospel. Jesus reaches out into people's lives, has compassion, suffers with them, and makes them clean. It's so, it's so amazing. It just blows my mind. That's who, that's who our God is. And he wants us to be like that too, to people in this world. And so Jesus, basically by touching this social reject, he's rejected by society, he's shunned, he's kept away, kept at the outskirts. Who are people that are kept at the outskirts in our society? We don't even see them because they're often bigger cities where the jails are, where the psych wards are, where all these other things are. And it's hard for us to get in contact with them. But Jesus went out to where those people were. And Jesus accepts the people that you and I don't accept. He accepts those people. Think about the people you don't accept. Jesus accepts them. It's powerful. Let me tell you a story about acceptance because I think it can change people's life. Um, it comes from a book by Brennan Manning called The Furious Longing of God. And it's a story about this guy named Larry Mullaney. Excuse the long quote here. I'm just going to sort of read it. Um, Brennan Manning was a university professor at, at some point, And so he talks about this, one of his students here. He says, um, there was a student on campus who, by society standards, was called ugly. He was short, extremely obese. Uh, he had a terrible case of acne, a bad lisp, and his hair was growing like Lancelot's horse. <laughs> he wore the uniform of the day, a t-shirt that hadn't been washed since the Spanish-American War, jeans with a butterfly in the back, and of course, no shoes. In all my days, I had never met anybody with such low self-esteem. He told me that when he looked in the mirror each morning, he spat at it because he was disgusted at himself. Of course, no girl on campus would date him and no fraternity would accept him. The story follows is one uh, of what Larry got for Christmas one year. Larry Mullaney found himself back at home with his parents in Providence, Rhode Island. Larry's father is a typical lace curtain Irishman. Now, there are lace curtain Irish and there are shanty Irish. A lace curtain Irishman, back in the day, even in the summer day, would come to the dining table without wearing, he would not come to the dining table without wearing a suit, usually a dark pinstripe shoot, shirt, shoot, uh, starched white shirt, and a tie swollen at the top. He will never allow his sideburns to grow to the top of his ears, and he always speaks in a lo low, subdued voice. 
Well, Larry comes to the table that first night home, smelling like a billy goat. He and his father have the usual number of quarrels and reconciliations, and thus begins a typical vacation in the Mullaney household. Several nights later, Larry tells his father, I need to get back to school. So he says, what time? His son tells him six o'clock, and his father says, I'll ride the bus with you. So the next morning, the father and son are riding the bus in silence. They get off the bus, and Larry has a second bus to catch to get to the airport. Directly across the street are six men standing under an awning, all men who work at the same textile factory as Larry's father. They begin making loud and degrading remarks like, oink, oink, look at that pig. I tell you, if that pig was my kid, I'd hide him in my basement. I'd be so embarrassed. And another guy said, I won't. If that slob was my kid, he'd be out the door so fast he didn't know if he was on horseback or on foot. Hey, pig, give us your best oink. And they kept on making remarks like this. And Larry Mullaney told me that at that moment, for the first time in his life, his father reached out and embraced him, kissed him on the mouth, and said, Larry, if your mother and I live to be 200 years old, it wouldn't be long enough to thank God for the gift we have in you. I am so proud that you are my son. I think sometimes we're unaware, but sometimes we have a deep-seated fear in us that says, I'm not accepted, or I don't feel accepted. And acceptance can change someone's life. And Jesus says to you, I accept you. Though the world says no, the world shuns you, though you feel in your own heart that you are rejected, Jesus says, I accept you. You know, even as Jesus was starting out his ministry, Mark chapter 1, verse 11, before Jesus had done any miracles, before he'd done any teaching, before he had done anything amazing, God, the first thing that we have recorded, God saying to Jesus is, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's the first words that came out of God's mouth to Jesus that we know of. The first words. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. And that's what God says to us too. Because we have died and we have taken on Jesus' life. And so he says to you and me, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Let's go to the next um, passage in Mark chapter 3. It says, Then Jesus went away with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. And from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan River, and around Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude came to him when they heard about the things he had done. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so the crowd would not press toward him. For he had healed many so that all who were afflicted with diseases pressed toward him in order to touch him. Excuse me. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he sternly ordered them not to make him known. 
Now, you might be wondering, why did I read this? It seems like actually such an insignificant part of the book. There's no parables, there's no miracles, there's not even teaching. It's actually a transitional piece between two stories. And so it seems rather insignificant. But I want to point out one, one thing that it, it shows us something about Jesus' life, and it's sort of highlighted here in verse 10. It says, For he had healed many, so that all who were afflicted with diseases pressed toward him in order to touch him. Now, can you imagine if, for example, Pace, you came up right here in the middle, and then everybody else just sort of crowded around him and started pushing around him. Now imagine that pace was Jesus and everybody else in here was sick. Some kind of disease, some kind of deformity, something wrong with them in the world's eyes. And, and they're unclean. And in that society, pace would be standing right here and all of us just pressing up around him, trying to touch him. All of us at once. Can you imagine that? He, he pace would be like this, all squished and, and disgusted. These people are unkept, unshowered, diseased, trying to touch. Can you imagine that? What if that was you? You would, oh, I mean, uh, some people can't take very much smell and they start dry heaving. <laughs> what response would you have? That would be terrible. And yet this is what Jesus is dealing with. And so my question is, Jesus attracts these kinds of people. Why doesn't the church... Why don't we attract these kinds of people? Because they saw something in Jesus. They saw this new wine, this new spirit, this, this life that just loved and accepted and compassionate and felt with people. They saw something in him that said, you are loved. What do they see in us? What kind of gospel are we presenting? There's a story that Philip Yancey tells, and he's a, a Christian author. He talks about this, this lady who got on a bus, and a Christian man came and sat beside her. And so he starts talking with her, finds out that she's a prostitute, and that she's actually, she has a two-year-old daughter, and she's actually prostituting her daughter because she could get more money, and it was in order to fulfill her own drug habits. So there's this prostitute sitting on the bus, prostituting her two-year-old daughter to, to supply her own drug addiction. And so the guy on the bus says, well, have you thought about going to church? Maybe they can help you. And she says, I already feel terrible enough about myself. Why would I want to go to church and feel worse? That's what she said. My heart is so that that wouldn't happen. You know, Gandhi, when Gandhi was walking around, he said to uh, a Christian, he said, I like your Christ, but I don't like you Christians. You, do, you look so unlike your Christ. That's what he said. And so all we can do is take up our own responsibility in your own walk that we would be Jesus this Christmas that we would lay down ourselves and start allowing Jesus to live through us because he is inside of you if you believe. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. 
This is, it just says, Jesus was having a meal in Levi's home, who was a tax collector. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. That's Jesus. Hanging out with the prostitutes, with the tax collectors, with the sinners. And they followed him. There was something about him. And he went out to them too. He didn't wait for them all to come into the church. Hey, if they want to get transformed, they'll come here. No. Jesus went out to them. That's the whole principle of incarnation, that Jesus left heaven to earth and that we do the same. We leave our comfortable place and we go out to reach out to people. And so, yeah, our diagnostical question is what gospel are we presenting to other people? In John chapter 8, we see that uh, the story of the woman who committed adultery. And Jesus says, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. Nobody condemned her. Nobody threw stones. They left. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why do we sit around condemning those outside the church like they're some awful pagan? They haven't subscribed to to what we've subscribed to. They haven't said, I'm laying down my life and I'm going to live like Jesus now. Why would we judge them as if they were? So there's, there's this whole kind of judging those people outside, but yet at the same time, we're not judging us inside the church. Can we go to the 1 Corinthians 5, 12? It said, Paul is talking about church discipline here. He says, for what do I have to do with judging those outside? Are you not to judge those inside the church? But God will judge those outside. Remove the evil person from among you. And so if you're a believer here today and you're in some kind of sin, we need to be judging that. We need to call that out and say that is not right. That is not the way you're to live. Lay down your desires and pick up Jesus. Let's be Jesus to the world. And so if there's sin going on among you, if there's lying, if there's cheating, if there's adultery, if there's depression, some of these things are sins that need to be dealt with among us. We shouldn't be shy about that because it's a good thing when those things get dealt with. It's a freeing thing. It's the way we're meant to live, free. But let us not judge those outside. That woman's committing adultery, Jesus didn't judge her. In John 4, the woman at the well, Jesus went to an unorthodox location. He went to the woman at the well who was a prostitute and had many husbands and showed her, hey, I know all about your history. I know all about your life. But he didn't condemn her. He accepted her and said, the living water is for you. And she went back to her village so excited that this man knew all about her and he is the true Messiah and he offered her the living water. There was no condemnation. He went out to that place where she was, where the needy people were. No condemnation. And brought the gospel to her. Jesus is so good. I think that probably our biggest need as humans is the need to know that we are loved. 
If we don't know we're loved, then, then everything else falls apart. I have a cousin who was adopted from Russia, and he uh, wasn't, um, he didn't have any real contact with humans for the first part of his life. And so they, he developed what's called attachment-detachment disorder. And what that basically means is you have no conscience. You just do things. You just do whatever you want. And yeah, you might know in your head that, yeah, I was told this was wrong or this was right, but you don't care. You just do it. And so there, there's, it actually inhibits our living if you don't love someone. It, you, people can die without love, without touch, without acceptance. So our deepest human need is to know that we are loved. And so again, G- God, the first thing God says to Jesus before he does anything, before he accomplishes anything, before he's worthy of anything, he's loved. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. God loves you. And because we have received this love, we are to give it out to others. That we are blessed to be a blessing. It's better to give than to receive. We have all this. We are Jesus to people so that they can receive him. It's a giving thing. I, I, was, I teach um, Bible class to the Christian school on Tuesday afternoons, and I was telling them there's three L words. There's like, and like is all about my preferences, my desires, what I want. It's all about me, what I like. So like is about me. Then there's lust. Lust is more intense. Desire. You lust after something. It's all of your desires bent on that. You lust after something. is like-like, but it's even stronger. And so it's, again, your desires and your, what you want. And so, again, lust is about me. And then there's this third L word, love. And I asked them, do your parents love you? They said, yes. I said, how do they show you they love you? How do they show your, their love to you? And uh, they started saying things like, well, they spank me. Okay, I'll discipline, all right? <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's excellent, number one. Okay. Uh, they give me food. They give me gifts. They give me clothes. They give me a roof. They teach me things. They spend time with me. All of these things. And what is the common den- denominator in all of those? For me, for me, for me. They do it for you. It's others-centered. Love is completely others-focused. And so my definition of love is sacrificial giving. And it has to be in relationship because you can't love yourself. It's others-centered by nature. And so it's always in relationship. It's sacrificial giving in relationship. And the greatest expression of that, the greatest example of that is Jesus. He's the greatest example of love, of sacrificial giving in relationship. And he has given that love to us. And so what are we doing with it? Are we just holding it to ourselves because, and then feeling sorry for ourselves because I still feel not accepted? If you look to Jesus, then you'll see you are accepted. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus is. Um, let's go down to 
incarnational, uh, incarnational living. How do we live incarnationally? Yesterday afternoon, I found out that I was going to be preaching today, and so I had a choice. Uh, okay, I'm gonna, I got to study some. I got to prepare. Am I going to go home to prepare, or am I going to go to a coffee shop? And I thought, I'm going to go to a coffee shop because I want to position myself in a place where I can be incarnational. If I'm sitting at home, yeah, sometimes I need alone time, yes. But I'm sitting at home in my box. I'm not, there's nobody to love there. It's, I'm home alone. And so I chose to go to a coffee shop because I want to position myself where I can be Jesus to people. And so actually I ran into an old friend from high school and uh, he's a good guy and he likes hanging out with me, but we haven't seen each other in a long time. And so I didn't want to just invite him to church. I was thinking about him, like, okay, in church, because it's too far of a leap for him. If he came to church, he might actually be pushed back and go, no, this is not for me. And so I, instead, I set up a ski date. Let's go skiing together. He's a really good skier. And so I have now another opportunity which I can be incarnational and it can be Jesus to my friend because going to church was too big of a leap. So then we, we need to fill in those gaps. And each one of us, if you believe in Jesus, then you have a ministry. You do. You have a responsibility to disciple people. It's not bring them to church and then hand them over to the pastor and abdicate yourself of Christian responsibility. That's kind of how we generally think. But if you're a Christian, then you have a responsibility to disciple people in your life. And so you bring them to that place where they're begging you to come to church. I have someone that works for us came up to me and asked me the other week, next time you preach, tell me I want to come. They couldn't make it today. <laughs> um, but they should be begging you, hey, I want to come. I'm ready. I want to come to church. Can, can you bring me to church? You don't, don't try and make them take a leap that they're not ready to make. And so now let's look at um, just Jesus' life. Jesus attracted people that we don't, society doesn't accept. Um, and so what do we need to be more like Jesus? Can we go to the last one, I think it is? Yeah. Um, we see at the beginning that Jesus was compassionate. He had compassion for the leper. And then he accepted that leper. He's an accepting God. He's a loving God. He's a giving God. He loves people. He's given himself for us and he's incarnated God into this world. He's made God flesh. That's what Jesus was. And that's what we're to do too. And so just look at that. Now we've seen, okay, this is what it means to be Jesus. And now we ask ourselves, how are we going to be Jesus this Christmas? How are we going to be Jesus in our lives? And ask the Holy Spirit that question. Now, you might be looking at that list and thinking, I'm a loser. I'm not even close to that. I suck. But do you know what that means? If you're thinking that, that means that your eyes are on yourself. Don't look at yourself. You don't have to be perfect because Jesus is perfect for you. You don't have to have all of those things because Jesus has all of those things. And so let him live his life through you. 
That's what it means to be a Christian. You have died to yourself. Stop looking at yourself. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look into him, the founder and perfecter of your faith. He started the work in you in the first place. Allow him to finish it. Allow him to move through you. And so that's what I want us to focus on, is Jesus. How are we going to be Jesus? We can be because he's living in us. Let's let him live through us. Let's go without this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your example that you came to earth to show us what it is like to be God. And I pray that we would take up those characters, that you would shape and mold us and form us into uh, the children of God that we are to be in this world, that we would reach out, that we'd be incarnational, that we'd be compassionate, accepting, and loving because you are in us. Help us to die to ourselves again daily and to surrender to you. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would empower and equip us, your church. We thank you that we have your promises to hold on to. May we be encouraged by your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.